0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study.
1: Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And I've entitled our Bible study, Maturity That Leads to Obedience. Maturity That Leads to Obedience. Now remember when we're reading through the Bible, there is one singular theme on every page. And that is, everything is pointing to Messiah. Pointing to Jesus. Jesus. And even as we're reading in the Old Testament, we're seeing types and pictures of Jesus. And this chapter is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It's one of the high points of the scriptures. It's a prophetic chapter, and it points to all that will happen through Jesus thousands of years later. And in the chapter, we have a father, we have a son and we have a sacrifice. And going through where I, I had prepared the Bible study and I finished the chapter in one study, but as I was reviewing it, I think it's important that we slow down a little bit and let the chapter like, resonate in our hearts. So we're just gonna take sections of it at least for two weeks, maybe three, and allow the Holy Spirit to use it. Now, as the Bible in the Old Testament is looking forward, it uses pictures, and you might hear the word typology, types. And so as you're reading in the Old Testament, there are pictures and types of what will be coming in the New Testament. And you can just jot it down. A great example of this, uh, at least a description, is in Colossians chapter 2 in verse 16. In Colossians two sixteen, it says, Don't let anyone judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. And then he describes it, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And so the shadow is not the substance. It's a reflection of the substance. And that's what a type is. A type is not the actual end. It's a picture of what's to come. And something we learned deeply in our study through Hebrews was the significance of typology. And because the central theme of the Bible is Jesus, the types of pictures are often of him as he fulfilled them. And so you look back at just a few things to consider. Adam is a type of Jesus. Moses becomes a type of Jesus. The Passover lamb is a type of Jesus. The manna in the wilderness, the bronze serpent, and on and on it goes pointing forward to Jesus who is to come. Now, with that in mind, here in chapter 22 of Genesis we have learned Abraham has faced three critical tests in his life, and he's passed them. Three critical tests. If you're keep taking notes, the first one was being called out of his homeland. He was called to something brand new. He, and he was called, I guess you could even divide this, not only was he called out, but he was called to somewhere that God said he would show him. So it wasn't even told exactly where he was going, just leave. Number two, he was called to separate from Lot, which was pretty significant. He loved Lot. It was his family. And he was called to separate from Lot. And Lot, remember, went to Sodom uh, and and dealt with the the consequences of his simple behavior there. But Abraham had to separate, giving preference to Lot. He passed that test. And then finally, the third test, which was very significant as well. I mean, these are heavy things. Is that he he was told to let go of his precious son, Ishmael, because... Isaac is the promised child, but he loved Ishmael. Even though Ishmael came from a bad decision and impatience, God loved Ishmael as well as his dad. And he was called to separate. He passed the test. His fourth test is here in chapter 22. And this would prove to be the most difficult and the most challenging. This test would involve pain, suffering, and deep anguish. And there will still be a lot of changes that God wants to make in this man of faith, developing him, discipling him, and they're coming in the form of tests. And here in this chapter, God is going to use pain to strengthen the faith of his servant. Now, if you're new to the Bible, this is a startling thing to consider, that pain would actually be a tool to make you stronger. But I have found that pain is often the tool, one of the most popular tools, that will strengthen your faith in God. It's counterintuitive because there's so much natural emotions, so much natural reaction that we think, what what is this and I don't want this and how could this possibly be used by God? But God uses pain to get get our attention, to, to bring us to a place of surrender and to bring us from glory to glory, strength to strength, from level to level of maturity. Now, the idea that God uses pain to strengthen is not an easy truth to accept or to live with. Some might even look at this and go, wait a minute, I thought God was a God of love. And in your definition of a God of love, that he doesn't want anyone to experience pain or suffering. But the Bible would disagree with that. God uses it. It was man's choice that brought pain and suffering into the world. It was man's disobedience. It was man's rebellion. It was Adam and Eve in the garden that brought this all upon us. God's heart is to use it. Because as we survey through the entirety of the Bible, we find spiritual growth is so often surrounded by sacrifice and suffering. Now, I don't think the Bible teaches us to go looking for it or to inflict pain and suffering upon ourselves. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. But I do know this. For those of you that have spent your whole life trying to avoid pain and suffering, you've missed out on key areas of your life that would bring about quick maturity a lot of maturity, a lot of growth as we submit ourselves to the difficulties of life instead of trying to drown them with alcohol or run away in relationships and on and on the list goes of ways that we've tried to avoid pain instead of embracing the reality that every human being. You see, for the person apart from Jesus, pain has has really no purpose. There's no explanation for pain. It's just another thing to deal with, another thing to endure, another. There's no explanation outside of Christ. But in Christ, and we've developed this in other Bible studies, especially in Romans chapter 8, especially around Romans 8.28, how God uses all things together for the good. But in Christ, we understand that pain has a purpose and an end. And it's used by God for his purposes. The difference is how we respond. And certainly there are some listening to me right now that have seen God use pain in your life and you've gotten through it and you've endured it and you're a better person because of it. God has shown you things that couldn't be seen before and revealed things to us. Again, jot it down. Let me read to you in Hebrews chapter 12. We're reminded uh, in Hebrews 12, we're not the only ones that suffer. Every generation of believers have suffered greatly. And in Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run our race with endurance, the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame." and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And I have found over the years that believers who don't suffer much tend to be weaker in their walk, maybe a little more naive, or misunderstand the grace of God. There's less of a depth maybe a little bit slower in their maturity. But the opposite is true as well. Some of the most steady, strong, deepest root believers I've met, if you heard their story, it would, just, it would make you hurt that they've endured so much pain in their life. And their response to it was a deeper faith and trust in the Lord no matter what, and let their roots go down deeply. You see, I've met those that have experienced deep heartache and pain and sorrow, that is, give them a depth of relationship that you can't buy in a book or learn from a Bible study or some series somewhere. You learn it in the place of suffering, and the place of dependence. With that in mind, let's see this episode of this final or fourth test in Abraham's life. We're just going to look at the first few verses today, but there's much to, much to learn. Verse 1. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested, mark that word, tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, mark that word, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And finally, the voice of the Lord comes to Abraham once again after he planted the tamarisk tree, and he's going to be a place of worship and and dependence, and he's seen the faithfulness of God. The voice of God comes again, and it says that God tested Abraham. God has been preparing, or a word we may use today, God has been coaching Abraham along the way in his personal relationship. You can say here in chapter 22, Abraham is a very different man than the man we met when we first met him called from his pagan background. I mean, he has changed dramatically over the years, and it has been many years. God has been preparing him and coaching him patiently in this school of faith, giving him a little test along the way. But this is, you could say, as one commentator called this, the final exam for Abraham. I mean, this is the big test, and you know, the thing about the big test is you just never know when it's going to come. You know God's working in you, you know you're preparing, you know you've got these little victories in the battles, you just don't know when the big one's going to come, and yet here it is in his life. Abraham's about to face the most remarkable, ironic test that anyone has ever experienced. He's waited 25 years for the child to come, and miraculously, his son is born, and now And now he's going to be asked to give them up in a very extraordinary way. And this brings out an important lesson for us just on this word testings, because I want you to understand the difference between testings and temptations. There is a difference between the testings of God and the temptations of the devil. Now, they kind of feel the same at times and maybe even look the same, but they're not the same. They're very, very different. In James chapter one, in verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his desires and enticed. And so the temptations of the devil are designed to destroy you. Temptations of the devil are not only designed to draw your faith away from God, but they're designed to draw you into sin. Because in the playground of sin, the wages of sin is what, church? Death. So the temptations of the devil are designed to try to trip you up and cause you to fail. His temptings of the devil are designed for your destruction, While God's testings are designed for your expansion. Testing. Now, if you use the illustration that we're familiar with in school with testings, a test is designed to reveal. A test is a revelation. And what the teacher, what the school is looking for is the revelation of whether you learned what you were taught or how much have you learned what you were taught, or how much more you need to learn. It all depends on what this test is going to reveal, and your answers, and after it gets graded. And this is an important truth. We don't need, listen, this this might be startling for you, but as followers of Jesus, we don't need more information as much as we value information in the study of God's word. We don't need more information. What we need is revelation. There's a depth of information that we need that only God can reveal. And that's why the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And it's a loving God that will lead us down a path using one of his tools. It's not his only tool, but using one of his tools of testings so that there might be a revelation of what's going on in our hearts. You know, you might pray this scripture in Psalm 139, verse 23. In Psalm 139, 23, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Just by a raising of hand, how many of you have prayed that scripture exactly or something like that to God? Okay, so this is the answer. Try me, Lord. And God said, okay, here's a test. (laughs) Here's an opportunity so that you can see What's inside? A revelation. And the rest of the scripture talks about being led in the right direction. Let me give you another one, Psalm 17 in verse three. The Bible says, you have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and found nothing. I purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. And here's another one, a different way of looking at it. Psalms 26, verse two. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me Try my mind and my heart. So you know testings are going to build your faith. Temptings are going to erode your faith. They're going to lead you away from God into behavior that maybe even you can self-justify, but the end thereof is death. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And we want to be careful to know that testings come our way and God sends them our way. And temptings come our way and the devil sends them. And really, you know, that I don't want to oversimplify it, but a lot of the temptations we bring upon ourselves. The devil doesn't need to show up it because it's just our way of thinking and we need to unlearn things and, and what we're putting in our eye gate and what we're putting in our ear gate. You know, we, it's, it's not like the devil's chasing you around everywhere because he doesn't need to. We bring a lot of temptations upon ourselves. When we feed our flesh, we present ourselves to this world and on and on the list goes. And so in between chapter 21 and chapter 22, you know, 20 plus years have passed. And before God tests Abraham, God is preparing him for the test. And that is the work of God in our lives. I mean, I dare say some of you faced a test today. And in the response to the test, your heart was revealed. Now, whether you admit it or not, or whether you see it or not, God has been working in your life. And all that God is doing today is preparing you for what's up ahead. Maybe little test, little test, little test, little test, big test. Or perhaps some of you have been called to a deeper relationship with him and it's big test, big test, big test, big test. Huge one at the end. But the end result is this revelation, preparation, equipping so that you and I might not stay in the same place spiritually, stay in the same place emotionally Stay in the same place in a, in a level of maturity. God wants us to grow up. Just the, those of you with children as parents or grandchildren or nieces and nephews, or like, our, our hearts are for the kids to grow up. They, they need to grow up. That's God's will for their life. To grow up from age to age and then age leads to maturity. And that it is important that not only do our, we desire our kids to grow up, but, but we also continue to grow up. And Abraham, he has gone through these testings where in between the chapters, you know, it's been kind of quiet in his life. And there are seasons of quietness. Sometimes right before a big test, there's a season of peace. What do they say in the word? Uh, The calm before the storm. Well, it's true. God will give you a peace and a settled, you know, there's just kind of waters are calm and and that, that's, you know, so much goes on in this church, this little church of ours, so much warfare, so much stuff. Like, and I'm always concerned when it's quiet. I'm always concerned when there's like, it just seems like, I mean, it's never true, but it just seems like it's more of a calm season than usual. And it, it changes my prayer life. I mean, I'm not asking God, you know, stir us up with more trials or anything, but, but I'm, I, it concerns me because when there's progress being made, for the things of God, there will be resistance. Although at times God will give you a rest. And you see that with Abraham, there is a little bit of a rest before God speaks to him again. And in due season, the tests come, a time of proving. Now, notice in verse two now that this test, it is unique, it's singular in all the scriptures. But this test came in a very sensitive area of Abraham's life, very sensitive and personal. Abraham loved his son Isaac, and now God is asking him to give up his loved and prized possession. Already having sent Ishmael away in obedience to God, that was a smaller test. And now God's leading him to a bigger test which brings up a question for us in our own lives, and that is, do you have an Isaac? You know, when we went through and and studied Ishmael, we asked a similar question, you know, do you have an Ishmael? Be careful, you know, don't create an Ishmael. It'll be problems the rest of your life and all in the flesh. You can look at that study earlier. But you also can have an Isaac where things in our lives or people in our lives or positions in our lives can actually become an idol in our lives. Something more important than God. And some describe this as a master passion that overrules, you know, Jesus desires to be your master passion. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Or it could be a master possession or some idealistic thought. Maybe the most precious thing you own or you have or you want and you have to ask yourself, are you holding to it? Are you clinging to it? Or are you willing to release it and trust the Lord with it? And so even at the outset here, don't be surprised if God would call you to sacrifice something that's very precious to you. Something that is in his revelation, you know, in the revelation of what he's revealing to you. He, God already knows, but what he's revealing to you is that something has become far too precious to you and is getting in the way. And it's only when you choose to release it and surrender it in full submission to God that he begins to multiply blessings in your life. Now, another note I want you to see in verse 2 is, he says, whom you love. Now, remember, when we're reading through the book of Genesis, you're coming across a lot of firsts. This is the first time this word love is used in the Bible. And I want you to notice it's not associated with the way the kind of world, the syrupy uh, love of romance and rom-coms and and the way the world operates—all physical and you know—it's it's not it's not associated. Love the first time the Bible uses the word love, it's associated with pain and sacrifice. It, it's associated with submission. It is associated. Well, let, let me show you in the New Testament. Would you hold your place here? Turn over to First Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. By way of reminder, there is a display. It's not a full definition of God's love, but it's a display of love. And we see this lived out in Abraham's life. We also see it in very great contrast to the way the world describes love. And notice with me when you get there in chapter uh, 13, pick up with me, actually chapter 12, Pick up with me, no chapter 13, no chapter 12, no chapter 13, it's, it's 13, sorry. I was covering the number, <laughs> my Bible was all messed up, I need a new one. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade himself, is not puffed up, doesn't behave rudely, does not seek its own, verse 5, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And it's such a contrast to how most of us were raised understanding what love is. Pretending to love or just operating in the way the world said love or what our favorite movie was or whatever music we listened to. But real love is associated with sorrow, sacrifice, submission, a giving of ourselves. The Bible would say in describing Jesus, Jesus would teach us this, he'd say, no, there's no greater love than this, than to give up your life for a friend, to live in sacrifice. This love is described of a father here in chapter 22, of his only begotten son. And by the way, the phrase where he says, your only son, Isaac, this is not, we know this doesn't, this isn't in context, doesn't mean that Abraham has only one son. This is an idiomatic phrase in the Bible that speaks of uniqueness. Isaac was his only son because he was the only son of promise, not that he was a singular son. And so don't let someone come and trip you up and go, well, here it says he only has, he's his only son, Isaac. What about Ishmael? Well, Ishmael was his only son in a different set. So it's not singular, it's unique. Even as Jesus is described in John chapter three as the only begotten, he's unique. Now, this love is describing a father of his only begotten son. It's describing a son's willingness to submit to his father as you read ahead even to the point of death, even to the point of confusion. And what does this mean? And why are we doing this, dad? This love is about God, our father, though. Of all the applications we've looked at, this chapter is not about application to our lives as much as it is to get our eyes on Christ. Already seeing what God is willing to do for us through the life of Abraham and Isaac. This love is about God, our father, who has an intense love for his son, And an intense love for those that his son will be sacrificed for. You know, three of the four gospels, when they start out, heaven speaks and you hear a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. You see the father's love for his son. Abraham to Isaac, God toward Jesus. There's an eternal intimacy spoken of here. A oneness between the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. But it's also beyond that, the willingness of a father to offer that son. The willingness of the son to offer his life and surrender. And to me, words don't describe, it's one of those episodes in the Bible, it's just hard, you know, the power and the passion behind what's happening here. It's incredible love. Nowhere in the Bible do we find a chapter like this. displaying displaying from the father's perspective what Calvary meant to him. I mean, you have Psalm 69 and Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 giving us insight of what Calvary meant to the son. Remember in Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? That's the son's perspective. That's Jesus' perspective, hanging on the cross prophetically. But only here in Genesis 22 do we have the father's perspective. And the love of the father and all the agony and all the heartache here in Mount Moriah. What it meant to Abraham, it was a thousandfold meant to God the father. So notice with me now in verse three, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place Of which God had told him, and then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young men, "Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you." Now I don't want you to miss this. If you like to write in your Bibles, you need to mark this and see it because we could take it for easily for granted. But if you notice in verse three, it says. So, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men and Isaac his son. And he split the wood and he arose and he went to the place of God, told him. And then on the third day, he lifted his eyes and he saw these, this series of words, these connecting words, and re- represent to us this immediate obedience. Obedience begets obedience. And he's just going, he, he already made up his mind. Obedience is often a decision followed by many other consequential decisions. So you're like, yes, I'm ready to go. And it's okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You get on that theme, on that, that rhythm of obedience. And for three days, we see Isaac was dead in the heart of Abraham. Not physically, but he's wrestling with this. And it wasn't until three days and now he's lifting up his eyes. And of course, you Bible students know three days is very significant scripturally, especially surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ, new life. And it says in verse five that Abraham said to his young men, stay here and we're going to go up and we're going to worship. any pastor at this text that wouldn't pause and say it's always a good thing to choose to worship in the midst of adversity would do a great disservice to this text. And so it's a great thing when you're faced with great adversity to choose a posture and a position of worship. And I wonder how many of you are here even in this moment right now and say, pastor, that's why I'm here. I need a posture of worship. I need to be out of my environment. I need to step into, I need to be with other believers. I need to hear the word of God. I need to sing. And if I can't sing, I want the guy. I want to hear the guy next to me sing. I, I need that because I'm in a posture of worship. And at the same time, it's also important to know it's, it's easier said than done. It's easier said than done. Because I think we could all say, I know I need that pastor and I know I want that pastor, but I'm going in this direction. And this is no small thing, like obviously he's got this impossible command of God that we kind of understand it because we know the rest of the story, but this Abraham has no idea what's happening. He is living by faith. He's the father of faith and he's living by faith. It is unknown to him the future. He's in the step of and, 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 and he waits in silence for three days. He says, okay, we got to go up and worship. You stay here. I'm going up with my son. We're going to go worship because I don't know what the future holds. We're going to seek God together. It was going to be nothing more than an act of worship. His final step of obedience would be worship. He knew God. And wrestle with this truth. He knew God did not believe in human sacrifice. He knew that that's what the pagans and the false gods did. And yet he wrestled, no doubt. And he's ascending the mountain by faith and obedience. Worship. He's not ascending the mountain. In understanding. And perhaps the. God is going to tell you and reveal to you tonight just how much you hold back from God because you don't understand. As if God is obligated to give you full understanding so you can choose to worship him. And these are the questions of great significance, aren't they? Because when we're talking about pain, sacrifice, and suffering, and all the ills of this world and everything we're facing. What's the natural and what's the big question? Why? The big question of why, just understand, it's not a bad question to ask. God doesn't say stop asking it, but just understand it's an information question. When you ask why, you're asking for information. And then if you don't get the information you're looking looking for, you're setting yourself to be mad at God. Because not only are you in pain and difficulty, but now you're upset because he won't give you the information you want. Because we are such an information overload world that we really believe if we knew what God knew, we'd be okay in our fallen condition. And if we just had information and God would explain to us why this is happening, why this is going on, why such a command, why would, why, why would God, what, just explain it to me and I'm ready. He didn't go up the mountain with understanding, he went up by faith. He went up without understanding and he was then dependent upon the character and nature of God that he knew. You know, how many times were you hear from this pulpit? How many times will you hear from the radio listening right now that like the simple command, read your Bible and pray every day. Why? So you can have some religious experience. like So you can say, I did my religious duty. No, because you need to know of the character and nature of God. This is where you learn from. You learn, you, and, and you don't read, again, some of you are frustrated in reading the Bible. Maybe it's the first time you ever read the Bible and you're frustrated because you're reading it like another book, like a, a book of understanding, like a textbook. But it's not a textbook. And you're reading it maybe like a map book. And it's like, well, the map tells me exactly where, no, it's not a map book. Or you're reading it like a science book. Well, it's not a science book, even though everything that the Bible teaches on is accurate. If, he has, if the Bible has anything to say about science, it's accurate but it's not a science book. And if there's any information that God wants to give you, it's accurate, but it's not an information book. It's a revelation book. The Bible is understood by revelation and steady, consistent, consuming of the word. And so just keep reading and keep reading and keep reading page after page. And just let the word of God soak into your heart and into your mind, and let the understanding come as God gives you revelation. It'll come over time. I, I remember even listening to myself right now, I remember sitting in Bible studies just like this, and I'd watch a pastor come around the pulpit and stand, or, and he wouldn't have a Bible in his hand, and he'd have so much to say, so many scriptures in, and I'd sit there and go, how does he do that? How does he know that? I mean, my pastor could just off the top of his head, just be talking all, like he didn't need a Bible. It was all in his head. But how did he do that? And now over time, I, there's no secret. Read your Bible and pray every day. And the more that gets into you, the more they will come out to you. I'll tell you this. If you don't believe me, I'll tell you this, you social media folks. I am certain that you can remember something you saw on social media today. I'm certain of it some funny thing, something you favorited, something you forwarded. Why? Because you took it in. And when you took it in, you have a tendency to remember what you take in. It's the same with the word of God. You take it in and on the authority of God's word, you'll remember it. And a little bit here, a little bit there, but you got to understand, and what I have to understand, Abraham's going up the mountain by faith. And faith and obedience lead to worship. And even if God was explaining everything, to, just to say God gave, dumped into Abraham the whole, the whole Bible <laughs> leading up to the cross. Do you really think with that knowledge, Abraham would have been able to understand it? He wasn't ready. He was ready for this, but he wasn't ready for that. And the same is true in your life. You're ready for this in your life today, but whatever's up ahead, you're not ready for it yet because you're not there yet. And God's preparing you along the way. And let me just say this too. This is so encouraging. Like, that's why I had to slow down. You can't compare the Abraham in chapter 22 with the Abraham of 10 chapters earlier. They're different men. They're profoundly different men. Same name, but this is a different man. The earlier versions of Abraham has him what? Bargaining with God. Remember at Sodom, judgment was gonna come and what was Abraham's posture? Oh, please, no, no, no. What if there's so many righteous in there? Please don't do it, God. Like he took the position of, no, don't do it. That's not him today. And don't you think this would be a more important thing to bargain with God? No, 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 there's gotta be another way. I, what are you doing? No, he didn't bargain with God, obedience. He went from that place. And I think, you know, the bargain with God was the maturity he was at at the, at the time. We don't look down on him for that. That's just where he was at. Even in your life right now, this is the maturity where you are right now. Don't look down. This is where you're at. And you'll continue to grow as you present yourself to the Lord. You will, you will grow. Time and testing, that's how we grow. It's how relationships grow, friendships grow. It's how believers grow. Time and testing, no shortcuts. And so earlier versions of Abraham had him arguing, arguing or bargaining with God. But today he's obedience in the face of impossibility. You can only imagine what's going on in his mind, in his heart, in his emotions. My son, we waited so long, the miraculous son. I love him so much. But Abraham, listen, Abraham has come to a place in his life where he trusts the Lord completely. What that means, this is where he's at. And I believe, as we wind down today, that the ultimate goal of maturity is to reach a place where, regardless of what you're thinking, and regardless of what you're emotionally going through in life, you obey. Let me repeat that for you. I believe the ultimate goal of spiritual maturity is to reach that place where, regardless of what you're thinking, and regardless of what emotionally you're feeling and what's going on in your life, you obey. You arrive at the maturity to realize that, man, you get up first thing in the morning and you are ready to serve the Lord. The consciousness of God with you, wherever you go, wherever God has you, that you won't deal with it later. You won't delay. You won't bargain. You just trust in the Lord with all your heart. I've learned personally that if I don't obey God, if I delay, it just causes so much pain. And I end up obeying anyway. <laughs> like it is the right choice. But I put up such a fight in the beginning and they're like, okay, 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 you're right. But now I got to deal with the consequences of disobedience when God was right all along. And I love this because there's the, the and again, at the end of verse five is all we're going to look at. So he's going up to worship. The sacrifice is going to be a place of worship. It's all worship not just like going up to sing songs. He he realized it's all worship and he tells his servants, we will come back to you. And there's only really two ways they can come back. Either what God asks of Abraham happens and God brings his son back to life, a belief in the resurrection, or God will intervene in his life. And I don't think Abraham had that one in his mind. I think he believed in the resurrection, which is even hard for us in the 21st century to just come to terms with. That's why there's a lot of critics that don't like this chapter. And it it makes sense that the critics don't like this chapter because it speaks of the ultimate sacrifice on your behalf, on my behalf. But looking at the ingredients of what kind of God would call someone to sacrifice his own child again that you got to keep reading the bible you got to keep reading before you ask that question at least finish the chapter and you see it was a testing not a temptation of the devil it was a testing of god it was a lesson of revelation and i hope you leave here wanting to know what's in your heart we know what the bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked you know it, it, we, are, we have a, a posture sometimes in sin against God but I, I, I hope you want to know I hope you want revelation so God can deal with things in your heart I don't understand. We are, we have a posture some. <laughs> I hope you want to know what the Lord sees in you so that he can deal with it. I hope you're open to grow in your relationship of faith that even the most wild tests are just used by God to draw you in closer intimacy with him. Because again, the whole pattern here of this chapter is is under the banner of love. And you can read ahead. You don't need to wait. You can read the rest of the chapter. I'll tell you the rest of the chapter. Abraham doesn't sacrifice Isaac. Because we learned that God provided for himself a sacrifice. So he doesn't sacrifice him. That's not what this is about. It's about the revelation of the love of God. And then we look at the Bible in a mirror. And we think, man, I don't think I'm ever going to have that kind of faith. I don't think I'm ever going to be that strong. I don't think I'm... No. Abraham was filled with failure and all kinds of issues. We've learned that in our study of him. And you will grow in your faith. That's God's will for your life. You, you might even look, I don't think I could ever. And you just have to sacrifice that. What do you mean you don't think you could ever? God can do for you what you can't do for yourself. But if you tie, you're just holding on. and I'm, I could never. Of course you could never. You have to release and sacrifice. You got to surrender. You got to embrace even the pain that you're going to face. And you got to say, God, I just so hurt so much. I can't believe it. But now once you reveal it to me, I can lay it on the altar and I can walk away from it. And it can be in the past. And God can begin the work of healing in your heart. Like you can be a fundamentally different person as a born-again woman and a born-again man in Christ. And what he has begun in you, the Bible says, he is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Abraham's a great example of that. And if you're here among us today and you have never Surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Today is that day. This is not, these things we're learning about this man, Abraham, belong to the children of God. To men and women who by spiritual birthright, you know spiritual birthright? You know how the Bible describes that? Probably a phrase you've heard your whole life. For men and women that are born again, that's your spiritual birthright. You must come out of not only physical birth, but you also must have spiritual birth. And how does that occur? By admitting that you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. That to this point in your life, you have gone in a pathway away from God. Even if you would consider yourself a good person, even if you would be an upright moral person, even if, even if you, you, you have that sense of wanting to follow God and be a good person, great. That's wonderful. We need more good people in the world. But the standard that God requires is not just merely your definition or my definition of good. It's perfection. And by that definition, we can all agree with what the Bible teaches. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And yet, there's a remedy for that. The blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of a loving father who sends his son on our behalf. So that today... If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's to you in the overflow room or down in the cafe. That's to you on the radio, on YouTube, or wherever you're watching, on your phone, your tablet. You're in a prison cell right now. The love of God has reached you. Even if you're watching in Saudi Arabia, God loves you, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. He loves you that much. And your response is, man, what great love. I want a relationship with this God that loves me. I want to learn sacrifice. I want to learn to embrace the will of God for my life in a very difficult world. And so Father, I pray right now as we come to the end of this little section, as we learn about the testing of Abraham, as we learn of his worship and obedience and faith, And part of me, Lord, I just feel so small next to Abraham in many ways. I don't have this level of faith in my life yet. And yet, Lord, as I look back, I learn that you brought me so far. And you haven't brought me this far so that it all just stops. And so I just pray that into the lives of your saints tonight. That you haven't brought them this far so that they just are abandoned by you that you're going to continue to grow and work in their lives. But I also pray for those that for the very first time would need to surrender their life and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. And I would just say, if you're here today and you would say, Ed, I I want to follow God. I I want to do what you're talking about. I want to turn away from my sin. And I want to follow God with my life. I'm going to ask you right where you are. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. God bless you over here. Who else would say, that's me? It was a Wednesday night that I responded. Just like this. It was a midweek Bible study. Pastor teaching a Bible study in the book of Revelation. I don't remember what he said, but I do remember this. The love of God got me that night. And I always love to share this because I felt like that night, I, I just didn't think, knowing where I came from and what I was into and all this stuff, I didn't think... I thought love that God could love all the people in that room. There's probably 4,000 people, 3,000 people in that room. But he wasn't, he couldn't love me. Because my past is so bad. It wasn't even my past at the time, it was my present. Maybe that's you. It's not not even my past, man. It's, It's my today. And God meets you today. He loves you today. You can receive the forgiveness of your sin and the removal and guilt and shame today. As a matter of fact, did you know the Bible says today is a day of salvation? It's today. So whether you're near or far, I want to help you do what the Bible says to confess with your mouth. So that you can have, one of the reasons why we ask for this open response is so you have in your mind the day, the moment where you know that you know that you know because the enemy will come after you. Oh, you're not really saved. Oh, you're not, you know, look at you and look at your life. And you can just know by faith, no way God has done this work. And so you can say this. You say, God, I admit that I sin against you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus to live for me to die for me and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul and I turn away from my sinful past and choose to follow you from this day forward help me God to live the rest of my life for you
0: in Jesus name Amen and amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.